Welcome back to the Global Greek Influence Podcast. I'm Panagiotta Pimenitu. To be up to date with the news from the Global Greek Influence Podcast and suggest your topics, subscribe, like, and review the Global Greek Influence Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, Amazon Music, and four more podcasting platforms. You can contact the Global Greek Influence through the podcast, Facebook and Twitter accounts, the podcast website, globalcreekinfluence.com and LinkedIn page. Professor Phoebe Kuduri is my guest today. Phoebe is a distinguished environmental economics professor and global leader in sustainable development. She is acknowledged as an innovator in the sustainable interaction between nature, society and the economy by combining pioneering, human-centric, interdisciplinary systems. Phoebe is listed in the 1% of most cited women economists in the world and she is included within the official Stanford University list of top 2% of world scientists with 15 published books and more than 500 published peer-reviewed scientific articles, book chapters, research and policy reports. She currently resides at the Athens University of Economics and Business, where she is the president of the research laboratory on socio-economic and environmental sustainability. Phoebe is also a member of the nominating committee for the prize in economic sciences in memory of Alfred Nobel, the Royal Swedish Academy of Science. She is also a professor at the Department of Technology, Management and Economics of the Technical University of Denmark. Phoebe holds an MPhil and a PhD in economics and econometrics from the University of Cambridge. She received a full scholarship from the University of Cambridge and the Cambridge Commonwealth Trust for her studies. She has held academic positions at the University of Cambridge, University College London, University of Reading, the London School of Economics. The list could go on and on. I could not omit that Phoebe is also Director of Sustainable Development Unit and EIT Climate KIC Hub in Greece, Founder and Scientific Director of Alliance of Excellence for Research and Innovation on Aiforia, President of the European Association of Environmental and Resource Economists, Chair of the UN Sustainable Development Solutions Network Global Climate Hub, Co-Chair of the United Nations Sustainable Development Solutions Network for Europe and Greece. Welcome to the show, Phoebe. <laughs> I'm very happy to be here and talking to you. I'm very happy you're here with us today and I'm really looking forward to our discussion because the title or the topic of our discussion is about systems thinking of decision making for sustainable development and I'm pretty sure that many other professions could find some interest and extend what you're going to say today in their field. Systems thinking is a holistic approach to building processes wherever they are applied. You combine pioneering, human-centric, interdisciplinary systems to innovate sustainable development. In a sense, you use systems thinking to achieve sustainable growth by interlinking and studying the synergy of critical components of sustainable development. What makes system thinking a worldview approach? Well, uh, the, the concept of uh, sustainable development is um, a, a very, uh, I would say, complicated in terms of its application, although in, its, uh, in principle is a straightforward idea. The, the idea of sustainable development is that we need to find a way of interaction between uh, humans, 
the society that they um, interact in and the economy that they interact in. But these two, the society and the economy, should also have a way of interaction with nature that achieves in the short run, medium and long run a firm basis for uh, a good standard of living. So the idea is to find the way that uh, humans, their society and their economy uh, can interact with nature in a way that it is environmentally resilient, in a way that it is economically efficient, and in a way that is socially acceptable. And this has to be valid uh, dynamically across time, across space, across generations, uh, between income layers, and so on. So uh, in order to understand what needs to be done to have that kind of development, to have sustainable development, a mode of development that satisfies the needs of the present generation without sacrificing the opportunities for future generations to satisfy their own needs, you really need to look on uh, how the different systems work together. And when we uh, talk about systems, we talk about the economic system, the social system, the environmental system, the governance systems, but also systems within these systems. So uh, we can talk about the water, food, energy nexus system, the mobility system, the um, system that uh, defines whatever happens in each of the sector of the economy. So by understanding each of these systems, but focusing on the need to understand the interlinkages and possible synergies between these systems is crucial in implementing sustainable development. Why? Because sustainable development has been transposed, and we speak with an example because it, it's crucial that we understand this. Sustainable development in 2015, September, New York, has been transposed into a blueprint, which basically uh, is the 2030 Agenda of the UN. So this agenda gives 17 different goals, 169 targets within them that cover all possible interactions between the environment, the society, and the economy. And uh, this uh, 17, this agenda 2030, these 17 goals are really a very, very systemic framework. So in order to implement them, it is not enough to implement each goal in silo. It cannot be done because the full implementation of each goal is a, a function of the full implementation of all other goals. That is why in the UNSDSN, in 2019, again, General Assembly of the UN, we've presented the six transformations that are relevant for operationalizing 
the 17 goals and the 169 targets. Operationalizing in terms of making it easier for governments to implement them. And we suggested three holistic systemic transformations. The transformation that has to do with health and well-being, the transformation that has to do with education and equality, the transformation that is focused on sustainable industry and decarbonization, a fourth transformation on sustainable use of land, water, seas and oceans, fifth, sustainable cities and communities, and finally, the digitalization, the revolution of digitalization um, for sustainable development. So it is really a very systemic, holistic, integrated framework, and it's definitely difficult to be implemented. It is hectic in terms of the science requirements and the data requirements, and it is systemic by construction. So uh, that's why I, I find it very important that our scientific era changes towards becoming more interdisciplinary, towards putting serious effort in interdisciplinary work, and um, in terms of becoming uh, of recognizing that we need to study in an interdisciplinary framework the different systems that make up society and economy and how these systems interact with the natural systems, with the natural ecosystems. And it's crucial that we find our way out our way to implement this framework, because at the moment we are facing so many crises, it is a really impossible to deal with this situation um, by focusing in one system on one system of focusing on very specific problems without understanding the interrelations between the different systems and the different crises. It's very interesting, and um, I would say that systems thinking is um, a very scientific, in a way, approach, an approach that uh, the economy and the industry don't really like, simply not because of seeing things uh, from different perspectives and from uh, different viewpoints. It's because of this implementation might innovate their fields. They prefer mostly incremental innovation, especially when we see in today's Europe how the energy strategy of the continent has been built on short-termism on short-term goals, something that would uh, satisfy the needs of the European industries without any long-term planning. From what you described, sustainable development entails that all efforts are focused toward climate change by tackling climate change also to reduce poverty, to serve future generations, 
to start seeing ourselves through the lenses of future generations uh, based on what we do today. So, in a sense, sustainable development is a new worldview approach as it serves communities and societies through the economy, even though many and most focus on the sustainable development economy lenses. What are the keys to sustainably financing climate change mitigation and adaptation across the economy and society? Um, let me just uh, clarify that um, a, a climate change is a, it's one big uh, threat, but it's not the only crisis that we are facing. So, like you said, it's, in, it's an interesting lens to see uh, what is happening uh, to the world because it is an umbrella for many things. But let us clarify, I, I agree with what you said, but let us clarify that we are currently facing a pandemic. It's not over. And we should also know that I, I was one of the commissioner of the prestigious uh, Lancet Commission for COVID-19. And uh, in the virology task force, I was leading the green recovery task force. But uh, in the virology task force, you can find there evidence of another 6,000 zoonotic viruses that can make the cross species leap at any time. So you can understand uh, what kind of possible tipping point we are at if we have continuous uh, virus uh, up outbreaks and if we have more than one functioning at a particular uh, period of time. So we are going through the pandemic. Uh, we are going through a very big economic recession together with increasing inflation, which is something that we haven't seen for the last few decades uh, and probably leading to stagnation. So um, no growth and increasing inflation, which is the most difficult um, problem that you can face in the economy. We are facing climate change, the increased severity and frequency of extreme uh, weather events that is caused by the destabilization of the temperature, destabilization of climate, and the increase in the average global temperature compared to pre-industrial um, numbers. And together with this, we are also facing biodiversity collapse. So the ecosystem services on which our production consumption activities are based are collapsing. And these different crises uh, make one another even more serious. So the correlation between the crises creates a really difficult situation to handle. For example, biodiversity collapse which leads to the collapse of the ecosystem services on which we depend, our living depends, it's um, aggravated, it's, it's becoming more serious because of, of the increase in average temperature. 
And biodiversity collapse makes the probability of zoonotic viruses to make the cross-species leap to humans uh, much higher because biodiversity is what keeps animals and humans apart, safely apart. And of course, all these crises, we've seen the economic effects of the pandemic, we've seen the uh, economic effects of climate change, the economic effects of biodiversity collapse are huge because you are losing the inputs which you are, uh, are using to produce goods and services. So all these are very, very interrelated. So in this very interrelated uh, structure, which of course leads to inequalities and geopolitical um, instability, like we see now in Russia, and, and it leads to when you have geopolitical instability, then all, the, all kind of crises emerge, the energy crisis, the food crisis, and in addition to all this, we have the population crisis around the world. We are expecting, um, we are expected to feed an additional two billion people when we are uh, facing climate crisis, which reduces the productivity of the agricultural sector in many places around the world when we are um, facing, again, food crisis because of the war in Ukraine and so on. So this is a very difficult structure that needs first to identify solution pathways. One first and foremost solution uh, or the, the, the start of any possible pathway is to understand that SDG 17 is crucial. Collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. So we are in a very dangerous geopolitical position at the moment. We have the war in Ukraine. We have the Western world not talking to the Eastern world. We um, have China not really talking with the US to identify solutions, common solutions, beneficial for everybody. Um, the US are trying to increase their influence in the Black Sea. Um, the uh, Russians are being very um, resistant uh, to this. So, it's a geopolitical situation which is dangerous, not just because of the nuclear threat, but also because of the resources that are not made available to serve the well-being of people, to protect the interaction between people and nature, which is crucial for the sustainment of the living of the welfare and, and the actual existence of people. So first, we, the political leaders, need to talk to each other to solve the problems in a way that supports the people. And, uh, and this is extremely difficult to be done. And then once we have some geopolitical uh, stability, we need to identify the pathways towards sustainability. And these pathways is actually 
a dynamic, a spatial, optimal mixture of technologies, of policies, and financial instruments to support the uh, use of the technologies to implement, that are going to be used to implement the policies. Basically, once you have that, when you have the finances and you have the technology and you also have the policies that will enable the, uh, the adoption of the technologies that you need and the technologies that I'm referring to are, are, are the, you know, the traditional technological advancements through innovation and, uh, and so on. But there is also not just technological innovation, social innovation as well. So you need to understand where you are and you can do that at the national level. You need to understand where you are, where you want to go. Let's assume that we all agree that we want to go to implement the SDGs, which is our sustainability blueprint, and then identify over time and across space what are the social and technological innovations you need to implement in order to achieve that, how you are going to support these implementations through the policy and how you are going to support the implementation by financing it. The basic truth is that the money is there. There is a lot of money around the world, not all public. Most money is, is in private hands. So that is why it is crucial to have reasonable public-private partnerships. Uh, the technology is there. We are very lucky. Uh, and this is something that the human race should be praised for. Technological advancement the last few decades has had a pace that never existed before. And because of this pace, we now have solutions. We have um, solutions to the climate crisis. We have solutions to the biodiversity crisis. We have quite a few solutions. So the idea is that we can do it. So in the, my next um, questions, Phoebe, we're going to address uh, some key areas of uh, the EU green recovery, also yes. the water, food, energy nexus. Also, what happens today with capitalism? What you already described is that we see a recycling, a redistribution of resources mm -hmm. for these uh, upcoming needs. And what I see and what I have seen through different rounds of uh, consultations with international non-governmental bodies is that where we lack is implementation. We lack in implementation. Otherwise, we will end up, uh, especially the scientists, be utilized uh, for foresight only, not for real uh, policies and um, their proposals, implementation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You co-chair with Professor Jeffrey Sachs, president of UN Sustainable Development Solutions Network and another world-renowned economist and global leader in sustainable development, the Sustainable Development Solutions Network European Green Deal Senior Working Group. Mm -hmm. How could the green recovery be combined with the European Green Deal 
and implement it through and to achieve the sustainable development goals. Yes. Um, thank you very much, Panayoda, for this. Uh, th this is a, a very interesting question, which we focus on. So basically, like I said before, we we try to find the uh, the pathways that we lead us from where we are today to what the European Green Deal uh, uh, suggests. And uh, what we do that I think is interesting is first try to identify the connection between the European Green Deal and the SDGs. And we've done some uh, deep learning um, uh, analysis that is artificial intelligence analysis uh, that um, tried to see how closely related are the SDGs with the European Green Deal. And uh, what we see there is that the European Green Deal is quite strong in supporting the decarbonization transformation that the SDGs are suggesting and the transformation that has to do with the sustainable use of land, uh, water, seas and oceans but is less well equipped in terms of the detailing of the policies to support the transformations that are relevant for social cohesion, the transformation on education, equality, health, and well-being. So one, um, um, let's say, a warning would be that although verbally the European Green Deal says that we need decarbonization by 2050, reduction of pollution, clean tech leadership for European companies and leaving low on behind, the financing, the policies really prioritize decarbonization, sustainable um, water, food, energy, and land nexus, but they do much less on social cohesion. So uh, why is that a danger? Because without social cohesion, you cannot implement anything. Why, without engaging the stakeholders across the society, the politicians, the policymakers, the businesses, the financial institutions, the civil society, and so on. You cannot achieve any implementation. And, and of course, at the moment, we are not only uh, hoping for an implementation of a simple policy. We need, we know that we need a holistic transformation of our economic and social systems. So for such a holistic transformation to be achieved, it is a revolution, right? You need to engage everybody. You need to have the general, um, the, the stakeholders, all the stakeholders engage. So the European Green Deal is a leadership example for the green and digital transformation. There is no better policy framework and attempt for implementation um, around the world. I work in all countries around the world. There is no better framework, but still it is not good enough for what we want to do at a very um, limited amount of time because obviously let me also say this because this is important 2030 is not um, doable 
2030 is too soon. So the relevant time scale is 2050. So uh, by 2050, we are able to achieve the SDGs. And I do hope and I campaign for this, that the SDGs should be renewed uh, in terms of their timeline, but they should stay the same in terms of their content because now countries are uh, starting to understand them, to integrate them in their policies and so on. We don't want to change them. We don't want another framework. We want this framework. There is momentum for this framework, but we want the day to go to 2050. So for 2050 to achieve all this, we need the financing, yes, and we work a lot on the financial instruments and how we integrate social, human, and um, natural capital, not just produce capital in our cost-benefit decisions, how we monetize and integrate it in our investment decisions. And once we do that, we are um, able uh, to, to uh, correctly identify the optimal investment mixture uh, and then uh, divert capital towards this optimal investment mixture. But all will be done only if we engage all the stakeholders. Foresight shows that capitalism is captive to sharing economy, a connected world, a slowdown in the expansion and absorption of democracy, inequality, and climate change. This summer, you spoke at the Force for Good Initiative event on a more relevant, profitable, and sustainable model of capitalism. How can we transform capitalism for greater profits, sustainability, and security? Yes, uh, for me, um, it is important that we are all aware of the value of the resources we are using and how our use of resources affects the others in the society that we are living and the future generations. So the job of an economist is to optimally use allocated resources that are scarce allocate them optimally across time and space. In capitalism has evolved in a way that it recognizes only the value of marketed resources, resources that can be traded in a market. And these are the resources that it's easy to allocate explicit property rights on them. Resources like uh, nature, resources like social capital, resources like human capital, our knowledge and, and brain are not easy to trade in a market because they have public good characteristics, they have a very big lags in terms of when the value is created and when the value can be used. This is more relevant to the human capital and so on. So we propose that all these resources that are outside the market and are undervalued, their value goals are recognized, uh, should come in the forefront of our uh, decisions. So what we need is to understand 
that, for example, natural capital is not unbounded. And because it is scarce, it has a value. It has a price that is much bigger than zero. Until today, we've been using our forests, our lakes, our um, uh, atmosphere, our um, uh, rivers, and so on, as if they are unlimited, and hence we of zero price. You, we can use as much as we want of them um, in terms of quantity, in terms of quality, and never worry that we won't have more. And if you have infinite supply, then you are correct to say the price of this is zero. But if you don't have infinite supply and you are dealing with a, a, a resource, a capital that is crucial for continuing your life, that your life depends on it, then you are being really, really stupid in uh, using it in a way that it exhausts it. So although there are a firm, um, th there are complementarities and substitutabilities between different um, uh, capitals, it is uh, very crucial for sustaining our welfare and standard of living and be able to uh, sustain the welfare and standard of living of future generations to recognize the different forms of capital that we use to produce goods and services on which we depend on and um, uh, monetize these different uh, capitals and know what are the costs and benefits of each and every intervention we make, both with regards to production and consumption. And that is why I think our work as the Alliance of Excellence for Research and Innovation on IFORIA on, on this issue, on monetizing non-marketed capital is quite crucial because it allows you to make correct investment decisions that will lead the interaction between economy, society, and nature towards something that is sustainable, towards something that can support a good uh, standard of living for this generation and the next. Thank you, Phoebe, for accepting the invitation to the Global Greek Influence podcast and discussing the holistic approach of the systems thinking process to best make decisions and achieve sustainable development. Panayoda, it has been a, a great pleasure talking to you. It's always a pleasure and uh, an honor to interact with a highly educated and motivated people that want to have a positive footprint on this um, interface between science, the society, and also hopefully influence policymakers that basically set the agenda for many of us. It has been my honor to have you here today, Phoebe, and having this discussion. And it has been a great opportunity for me to speak to you. Thank you all for staying until the end. Stay tuned for another podcast episode and get notified by subscribing and following on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music and five more broadcasting platforms. Your feedback and suggestions also help us become better. Until next time. Mm -hmm.